You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Sarah Raven. And today I'm joined by Josie Lewis, our head gardener, and we're going to talk about roses. Josie is fanatical about roses. We'll talk a lot more about that. But this is the first of our new format, which is 12 Best Of. And it's really us trying to distill down. I'm a great believer in stock cubes somehow. I really like the distillation of everything that I've learned over the last 30 years of gardening and being able to hand it to you on a plate. Well, this whole series of 12 Best Of is exactly that. And today it's going to be roses. Josie is our head gardener here at Perchill. She's been with us now over 10 years and sometimes she sort of looks at me and threatens that, that maybe she'll move on, half joking because she knows it will be an absolute disaster all round. But she's the most incredibly wonderful leader of the garden here. And the thing we're going to talk about today is roses, which actually we have already done an episode on, but I really felt we couldn't not report one of the big trials that we've done this summer in 22, which was the vase life and scent value of many, many different roses that we have in the garden here. And again, sorry, I'm rambling on a bit at the beginning here, but when Josie came here 10 years ago, I think we probably had five or six roses. They were mainly on the walls or they were big shrub roses. And I'd basically taken out all the other roses because I found that in an organic garden, we got such a persistent black spot, particularly rather than mildew, which we don't get so much on the heavy clay, but a lot of black spot. And so very treasured varieties that I'd known from my childhood or young adulthood, like Madame Isaac Perrier, which is the most wonderful, very perfumed rose, literally just shed all its leaves. It completely defoliated. So I took it out. And even I found things like Tuscany Superb, which was a rose that I fell in love with when I lived at Sissinghurst. Even that just got black spot on mildew so badly. So I took it out. And then Josie arrived and she said, I can't believe you don't have more roses. And she's right that it was just such a shame. We would just, I'd sort of ruled out a whole big plant group, particularly because I love cut flowers. It felt like such a shame. And now I'm in a way slightly embarrassed to say that I think we probably have 80 varieties of roses? More. 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 Yes. Well, I'm yeah. going to hand over to Rosie now. But Rosie, that's my daughter. She's actually called Josie, but I do quite often get the muddle up. I'm going to hand over to Josie, who's going to talk you through the vase life and perfume trial. Yeah, I was surprised how many varieties we had because when it all went onto a spreadsheet, it turns out we've got 100 varieties. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, and I keep seeing more that we've put in hedges and up trees. So it's probably a few more than that. So to do this rose scent and vase life trial, we laid out a mass of vases in the office and I sent the gardeners out to pick five or 10 roses each. And they kept coming back more and more. And I said we'd have, in the end, we had to split it into a couple of weeks because there was just too many to get in the office. Yeah. So we cut them, we cut them quite short. We treated them all the same. We seared the ends for yeah. 
10, 15 seconds. They were mm-hmm. all sort of the same diameter rose stem. So, so that was how we seared them. And we just left them in there and every day we looked at them and saw how long they lasted in their vases. And as, as everyone brought in their roses, everyone sort of assessed the scent. So we all basically stood there sniffing the roses. And of course, we all smell things differently. It was, you know, variable. So we marked it out of 10. Yes. Um, and, you know, what I'd call an eight, some people would call a six. So, okay. it, you know, it, it does vary how we analyze these things. Uh, the vase life is obviously easy when their petals fell off. That was the end of their vase okay. life. They'd had it. They'd had it. Yeah. Uh, so that was yeah. easy to assess. But, you know, as you can see, I've, I've uh, brought up all the numbers here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's quite variable, isn't it? And Amazing. Yeah. The, the one that we thought we had the, you know, everyone agreed on was Jude the Obscure had fabulous scent. Okay. Uh, and when you find a rose like that, you can measure against it. Yes, um, it becomes a sort of benchmark yeah, to that's compare it. Yeah, that, and that's what I found with Rosary de la Hay. That used to be my benchmark, but Jude the Obscure sort of matched up with that. Okay, that's that's good to know. So they yeah. both got 8 out of 10. So yes. nothing, yeah. in fact, on the scent got 10 out of 10. But well, so, it's, it's sort of difficult to... Yeah. Would, would you call Jude the Obscure a 10? I think you would. If you're yeah. calling it the benchmark, I think you'd have to call yes. that a 10. Yeah. So in which case, looking at this list, which we'll, we'll put the top scorers in the podcast notes so you can see, but certainly... The ones that excelled in terms of scent, I'm just going to read down the list here. So if we're adding two, if you sort of mean, because Jude the Obscure is becoming 10, not eight. So one that is really excelling here is a variety called Ebb Tide. Describe that, Josie. I can't, I can't remember Ebb Tide. <laughs> um, Ebb Tide looks quite like a uh, timeless purple. It's okay. a beautiful, rich, rich color. Yes. Okay. It Good. sits behind hot chocolate. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, I know. Yes, yeah. I know where it is. Absolutely. And then another high scorer was Evelyn May, which I think was bred by Crabtree and Evelyn, wasn't it? I oh, I don't it. know the history of that one. And then another one that excelled was Falstaff, Felicia, First Great Western, Gertrude Jekyll, Goldfinch, Jude the Obscure, Just Joey, which I completely agree Lady Emma Hamilton, which is an absolute cracker. Prince Alexander of Kent. Rose Duresh. Rosary de la Haye, absolutely benchmark 10. Sent from Heaven, 10. Stanwell Perpetual. Sweet Juliet. So all those. Anyway, we will list them because you don't want to, particularly if you're driving, you don't want to <laughs> start trying to um, remember all these. Anyway, so, so that's interesting. I find that really interesting that those, uh, certainly in our judgment, were the ones that excelled in terms of scent. But in terms of vase life, which were the ones that lasted the longest? So we count, just counted them in days. And of course, it's difficult to pick each rose at the same stage. Yes, so it's, it's quite yes. subjective, really. Yes, yes, sure. Um, so Anis Perfumella, which I had high hopes for, but you took a look at and said, no, not having that in the garden next year. <laughs> So I it was you for a change. Oh, no, I can't remember even what that looks like, but it's very uh, perfumed. Yes, yeah. And it's, it had a reasonable vase life at five days. Oh, uh, yeah, so it did. What did it look like, Josie? I've wiped that from my it's, memory. <laughs> it, was that, it was that bad. It wasn't great. 
It was the uh, hybrid tea oh, down yes. by the yeah. gate. It was just, I'm sorry to use the word, it was just a bit vulgar. It just yes. looked a bit like a classic hybrid tea, some of which I love. But yeah, okay. Well, maybe if I'd known it had quite such good vase life and quite such good yeah. scent, I would have given it a second chance. It's still, but it's still there. Oh, it's have still a there. second chance. <laughs> well, maybe I'll give it a, I'll give it another look next year. But the one that stands out here is Duchess of Cornwall, yeah. and and so I think I wonder now whether we might move on to trying to stick to our format vaguely of of the twelve bests, because actually this is the first one of the twelve bests. And so if Josie and I were to choose 12 roses only to cover walls, to go into borders, to give us shrub presence and hips, and for sort of general garden interest, these would be our 12. So Duchess of Cornwall lasted well, lasted five days. So Josie, over to you to describe Duchess of Cornwall. What a beautiful rose. Yeah. An English, classic English rose, uh, shrub rose. How would you describe her colour? It's a beautiful, it's, a sort of, it's quite variable. I mean, it's sort of like a soft coral, but also then at some stages it's really quite pink. And I think that's one of the things that people don't like about it. Actually, you can see on the plant sometimes, particularly when it starts flowering in May, you get the pink and the coral at the same time. But the reason that I absolutely adore it is partly that it lasts really well in the vase. It has a really lovely scent. But also, it's on the way to the hen run here. So I pass it when I go and let the hens out and put them back, whatever. I mean, obviously, with bird flu, that's different. But it still flowers right into the beginning of winter. And for me, that is extraordinary. I mean, it it really does flower for about six months. I don't think I would ever have a garden now without Duchess of Cornwall, named after our our now queen. So, uh, yeah, it's fabulous. It's healthy. It's strong. It's floriferous, it's a beautiful colour, it's got a beautiful shape, it's got a beautiful scent. It's a winner. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the things about it, it is really healthy. Yeah. You know, it, its leaves just look amazing. Yeah. Then my picking one was timeless purple. Yeah. Oh, you know, what a fabulous rose. I see in our trials, it was missed off. So that's one for next year for us to do. Okay. Uh, but we, we pick it anyway in vases and it does last really yeah. well yeah uh, it's such a beautiful rich color and it's got you know great scent and really healthy again yes and I see this out of my bedroom window actually it's a, it's a sort of deep pink into purple and it again it slightly varies uh, partly in the light but but also partly in the season and the thing that I think's good about it is that it's quite compact and I think for a smaller garden the length of flowering the pickability the general health, good scent. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a winner rose, isn't it? It's a, it's a real it winner is, rose. It is, yes. And it, it was placed in the garden where we put a new path in last winter. So we dug it up, moved it, mm. uh, as you say, to where you can see it now. And it, it was fine. Didn't really notice. Just That's carried on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the next one in the picking section, which interestingly in the trial here you actually think it only lasted three days. So it's very interesting because certainly when I was on an away day lecturing uh, near Henley, I went into the garden in November and I was slightly scrabbling around to take stuff from here for our flower demonstrations. 
And the thing that was completely beautiful, even though it had been a really wet, sodden old week, was night owl. So I picked it, really quite a long wand of it. I would say almost, well, certainly 70 centimeters. And I I was able to pick three boughs in really quite good shape, each with two or three heads on. And I took them and Arthur used them, in fact, in, in one of the vases. And when we were packing up after four days of lecture tour, it was still just about holding onto its petals. So maybe the cool of the late in the season had made it last even better. And I promise you, it, the perfume was was really, really excellent. So this has got a slightly different habit to the two we've talked about. It's definitely got slightly more, almost like you could train it on a fence. You know, I would say it's sort of its wands go out to a couple of meters. And so it would be a classic thing that would be nice to put on a shed or or to put on a new bit of paneling or whatever between you and your neighbor. And um, it will give you length of flowering, good pickability, lovely scent and good and healthy. So for me, that would have to be another one. Yes, I mean, it is such a beautiful color. And to be fair to it, it's taken a couple of years to get those long wands. Okay. You know, in previous years, it's uh, sort of stayed at a shrub rose. Okay. Uh, and okay. then, yeah, this year it's really taken off. Yeah. But yeah, beautiful. Next. So length of flowering, again, I would go for hot chocolate. I always bang on about hot chocolate, as you know. Yes, um, and it's, rightly so. Yeah, it's still flowering in, in December. Yeah, We've had such a wet autumn, the, the flowers have tend to ball a bit. Uh, yeah. But if we have a drier autumn, you know, it, it's fine. You can pick it in December. It's still mm. going, it has the most healthy uh, mm. foliage. And it's, well, you, you can't really do justice in photos, even... Jonathan Buckley has yeah. struggled with taking it's a beautiful photo of that. It's such a difficult colour. And to, he doesn't struggle with much. Yeah. It's a um, difficult colour to represent, isn't yeah. it, in print? It really and, is. Until you see it in the in the petal. It's such a beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah, it it's really like is. a sort of burnished copper crossed with terracotta somehow. It's yeah. really, really unusual colour. Very healthy, strong grower, covered in flower for many, many months. I, I first saw it actually in, in a garden that I love in the Netherlands. And um, they sort of took me towards it because uh, I, I do lots of plants sort of spotting there and they weren't sure if I'd love it or hate it. And I think it is, I'm not going to use the cliche, but I just did Marmite. But I think it is a Marmite rose. It's one of those ones that you either think it's one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen or you're like, oh, because it is such a strong, saturated pigment color, I think. But it, 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 is a, it is an absolute cracker. And I want to just add one other to the vase life list for picking specifically, which would be champagne moments. Now, champagne moments, if you like pale, soft, almost a mother of pearl, sort of very soft pink ivory rose, it, it's champagne moments. I mean, it's a really unusual color, actually. It's almost like the Café au lait dahlia. It's got a tiny bit of brown in there as well sometimes. Not brown in a horrible way, but sort of milky coffee brown. And again, I have that outside my kitchen. And we had it flowering right into the depths of winter this year with the brilliant tobacco plant, Nicotiana sylvestris, that flowers until it gets too incredibly wet. And the lovely single dahlia murkii, 
which is completely perennial in this garden. And that trio of the rose, champagne moments, the Nicotiana and the Dahlia was ethereal, elegant, you know, and I'm not a lover of pastel or pale colors, but those three really, really won the day. And it picks incredibly well. It's a classic bridal bouquet rose, but it's healthy, very long flowering, good perfume. So that has given us the four for picking and one for length of flowering. And I'm going to button again before <laughs> Josie goes, which is just to finish the length of flowering. I've got to mention Rose de Reche, spelled R-E-S-C-H-T. And this is perfect for petiteness. So for a tiny garden, it's the rose that I would go for. And I want to get us to trial that in a pot this next season because I think it's compact enough that it actually could do in a pot. And of course, roses in pots are famously tricky because they need so much water and fertility sort of, you know, uh, food, basically. But Rose de Reche is naturally compact. I went into the garden again to pick in November, and sure enough, I was able to pick five Rose de Reche. Wonderful perfume, good vase life, uh, incredibly healthy. It's an absolute winner. So so that would be my number six, I think. So, you know, we're, we're getting a, a pretty pretty healthy list here. So over to you, Josie, for walls, whether tall or short. Okay, so for a wall, well, I'd never say put a tall rose on a wall. People put ramblers on walls and it's yeah. just a bad idea. Because it's a nightmare of yeah, maintenance. You're yeah. just constantly uh, struggling with them. Mm. Uh, so for walls, I'd choose scent from heaven if it matches the colour of your walls. Mm. You have to be aware of the brickwork or whatever your house is made of. And it's a of. strong colour, yeah. Yes, yeah. Sort of uh, orangey apricot, isn't it? It's quite, yeah, yeah it's quite a statement. But the scent from it, the name is corny, but it does describe it really well. Yeah. It's a short modern climber, so it'll get up to three meters, which so you're not struggling with it in your gutters or, yeah. or anything. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you've got to look for if you're looking for something for your house or or to put over an arch even. It's it's to think what the final height'll be. So it's great for obelisks. It's you know, got a remarkable scent. So do we put that to a 10 then didn't we yes uh, yeah and yeah. and it's incredibly healthy you know if we walk past it now it's it's on the edge of the drive there it's covered in leaves it's yeah. you know still got buds on it yeah um yeah, yeah it's a cracking rose yes it is so following off the next rose we don't actually have in the garden here at all but it's a note to self and note to Josie that we <laughs> must get some and maybe in a minute we'll just take a little interlude and intermission and talk about now is a good time to plant roses but we'll come back to that after I mention which one it is which is Madame Alfred Carrier. So Adam and I lived we're lucky enough to live in the garden at Sissinghurst for eight or nine years when the children were growing up and on the south cottage was a Madame Alfred Carrier which Vita and Harold had planted when they exchanged on buying Sissinghurst but hadn't completed. There was a week or a few weeks in between exchanging of the contracts and completion, which is now done within 24 hours apparently. But anyway, it wasn't in, the, in 1930, which is when they bought it. And Vita planted Madame Alfred Carrier on the south cottage, south-facing wall. And indeed, it thrived and only in lockdown with COVID when it wasn't watered at all, unfortunately did it give up but you know that is a nearly well 90 years later or whatever well even more and 
It's a remarkably healthy rose and it has very short flower stems. So it's very, very good on a wall because it doesn't form sort of messy, great arms that will then poke the eyes of the public. That's one of the reasons it's a good one for there. So it needs pruning, but it's really good. It's sort of off white to white, good scent, pretty healthy. And well, it's lasted a hundred years or nearly in that situation. And I really feel I'm not such a white person, which is why I think we struggle with integrating into the garden here. Uh, I find white uh, the most difficult color in the garden, unless you have a white garden at Sissinghouse. But somehow we've got to introduce a Madame Alfred Carrier. And there's rather a nice thing that they, Harold and Vita used to refer to it as Madame Alfonso's career. I don't know why, but it made them laugh. So whenever I see Madame Alfred Carrier, I always think in Vita's writing, she always referred to it as Madame Alfonso's career. So that's very good for a slightly taller wall. But again, yeah. not not too strong a growth. You've got to have those two stories like South Cottage, haven't you? Yeah. Whereas yeah. I wouldn't plant it on no. your house because it'll be in the tiles. And yeah. Yeah. You've, you've got to have that height. Yeah, but it's definitely worth a mention. Oh, definitely. Okay, so we've still got room for four more, Josie. I, we'll do two for hips. You do one and I'll do one for, for hips. Oh, so for hips, I'd choose the Rugosa roses that are obviously brilliant rosary de la Haye. yes back to that it's yes. got the scent it's got those big hips that look like cherry tomatoes yeah um the birds the birds absolutely love them yeah and you know you can de- not all Rugosas will do this but the rosary de la Haye, you can deadhead it like you would a normal rose and then it'll send out a second flush and a third flush and then if you leave you know, leave the last lot, don't head the last lot as it goes through the season, then you'll get those beautiful hips. Yeah. And we have it here as a mini hedge, maybe 10 foot long between our kitchen terrace and a lawn. And yeah, it's just lovely to sit out on a summer's evening. You get that incredible perfume. Famously, the Rugosas are extremely healthy. They have that sort of chiseled outline to their leaf beautiful flowers they don't pick particularly well sadly no but that's fine it's fine to have some things that you just leave in the garden and as Josie says wonderful wonderful hips and it's quite thorny so it makes a great hedge yes it's not great for picking as you say yeah and birds they love it we have it just underneath our bird feeders and and they they love it it gives good protection for birds against you know like we have a sparrowhawk that I'm afraid sometimes hovers above the bird feeders and and the the hedge provides good protection for them there they can hide in it and my one for hips is a plant that again I love having been in this garden now for nearly 30 years and it's one of the first things I planted which is Rosa Moisei geranium and to be honest I remember a, a really good friend of mine who's a wonderful garden designer called Pitt Morrison suggesting that we put this in and I'd known it in my parents garden and I thought it's not so showy, but because the flowers aren't so showy, they're dog rose, single rose types in a, in a type in a sort of deep pink. But it's for the hips that it's incredible. It has these literally casket shaped hips that are big. I mean, they, you know, they're a good five centimeters, some of them, and it's this wonderful sort of sealing wax texture, orange, but you know, really, really mellow orange. And genuinely, they hold those right the way through to when the flowers go over, which is quite fleeting in June, and they hold the hips right the way through until the middle of winter. The birds love it. 
its incredibly graceful, tall, elegant, arching bows of these hips. And we'll get to sort of two, even two and a half, three meters. So it's a whopping plant, but I adore it. I pick it for its hips. It's incredibly healthy. So without doubt, that would have to come to my desert island with me. So yeah. final two, Josie, which are you suggested, and I really love the idea of doing this, which are one divisive rose each, i.e. one that can cause a bit of an argument that people either, again, love or hate it. So we've mentioned it with hot chocolate, but I think both of us should mention one that we're absolutely passionate about, but some people look at it and say, ugh, don't like that. I think it's, it's good because you will either love it or hate it. So what's yours, Josie? So yes, my divisive rose is for your eyes only. Mm. How do people love that? I'm sorry. <laughs> but you put just... it as your, you like it. No, 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 oh, no. It's the other way it. round. Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I like it's... it because it reminds me of a tree peony. Yes. Yeah, true. It's got that, uh, it's a single rose in its favour. It's a single rose. So it's good for pollinators. It, the minus is it's shades of pink apricot and in the middle there's this eye crimson eye yeah um, but you know the number of visitors who come here and say oh I love that yeah uh, but not for me sorry not for you okay <laughs> yeah I like it and I like picking it. it doesn't pick brilliantly but it's it's like a sort of it's like a glorified dog rose with her party clothes on and I guess that's why I like it I think you probably think it's a dog rose with too much makeup yes but um <laughs> For your eyes only is quite a good name. Well, my final one, but we must talk a tiny bit about planting, is definitely Rosa mutabilis. Now, this is a rose I was brought up on. My parents have a wall garden with red brick walls. And funnily enough, on the outside of the wall garden, um, my father planted several of these training up onto the red brick and, and they came to the top and came over the other side. And the thing that's remarkable about it, I think, is its simplicity. So I think its its origins are with a china rose. So it's a single. It has beautiful coppery and mixed with crimson foliage in the spring. It comes into flower very early. I mean, even in April sometimes here. And it's called mutabilis, which means changeable or changing in Latin. And that's because it opens a sort of apricot and turns pink. I think that's the right way around. And it really, that change is really quite noticeable. And so on the bush at any one time, you'll have that color combination and the buds are this rich, almost crimson, you know. And so for me, it's subtle and yet stunning. But interestingly, we have it on our list on the, on the website. And we do have customer service issues with it because when it comes it just looks so scrawny because it's it's a species rose or closely related to a species rose. So it's not a strong hybrid with hybrid vigor, but it will last forever. And so I've certainly grown up with it. I'm about to be 60 and I know that it was in my parents' garden in the same place from when I was five or six because I used to love it from that age. And that is how long it will last. So I love it for its longevity. I love it for its length of flowering. I love it for its grace. I love it for its perfume and it's just simplicity really. So for me, I think it would be my desert island rose. I think I would take it. And of course, utterly healthy, never gets a black spot or mildew. So it's one worth sticking with and it takes a while to get going, but it's really worthwhile. So I would love to hand to Josie now just to talk us through 
bare root planting because as we come up to Christmas, one of the things I'm going to be giving friends and family are some bare root roses for their gardens because it's an unusual present and it's a present that goes on giving. That's a terrible cliche, but I remember Arthur giving me roses four or five Christmases ago. And whenever I see them coming out into flower in the spring, summer, autumn, I think, oh, there's Arthur's rose. And I think it's a lovely thing to give for that reason. So Josie, will you just talk us through how to plant a bare root rose? Yeah, so the roses will arrive wrapped up in paper bags or, you know, however anybody sends it out to you. So unwrap them when they arrive. They are really bare root, you know, there's no soil at all around them. If you can't plant them straight away, then put them in a, a large pot and cover them with spent compost you know they'll they'll keep for quite a, a few weeks like that or, or heal them into the garden if it's froze it's if the ground's frozen then you obviously can't put them in mm-hmm. but when it comes to digging them in you know prepare prepare the ground just loosen the soil mix in some of your homemade compost if you have any uh, don't don't make it a sump so don't don't use just compost around the rose. It's mm. the, the, all the soil you want to go back should be mostly the soil that's in the garden anyway. Yes. Uh, so place, place your rose, make sure that it's on, on the right level. So have a, a bamboo cane or whatever, so that the, uh, the graft union is just below the surface of the soil. Uh, hold the rose over the, the hole that you've dug. So, you know, make sure the hole's appropriate for the size of the, the roots that are there. Um, spread the roots out slightly. I mean, you kind of soak them in water beforehand. If they've arrived and you're planting straight away, then soak them. Yeah. Uh, and then sprinkle over some mycorrhizal fungi over the hole so yeah. that it attaches to the roots. It has to be in contact with the root. And then fill in around uh, around the rose roots. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't, don't stamp the earth down. Yeah. Just you know, gently press it. You know, just be always aware that the that soil is a living thing Uh, and then water it water the rose in so that'll settle the soil around the root so you don't have big air pockets yeah great Uh, so so just to um highlight two things about that just before we finish so the first thing is that that point of the union is really important that it's below the soil surface because otherwise you get sucker formation so basically that the species rose that the, the one you want to grow might have been grafted on will actually, if it's above, will actually then grow and can drown out your more special thing, your more special variety. And the second thing is lots of research have been done on mycorrhizal fungi with rose planting. And what it really is proven to do is when you're putting in a bare root, those little finger white roots that start off to get that settled in before it grows off in the spring are heightened, enhanced, and made massively larger by the mycorrhizal fungi. And so basically, there's your root of your rose, and it then tapping into this whole structure of these mycorrhizae to access more water, more nutrients, and anchor it more in the soil. So it's really proven research on on how these work, and that the great mushroom that's holding and supporting that rose is incredibly important. And lots more about soils and mycorrhizae are emerging with research. And there's a wonderful book by Sheldrake about exactly all this kind of stuff. And I've been reading lots about it this year. But with roses, it really makes a difference. Thank you so much, Rosie. Ah! (laughs) Twice. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you so much, Josie. And of course, what we need to say to everybody, because this is going out on the 16th of December, is not only do these make a lovely Christmas present, but incredibly happy Christmas to everybody. I hope you all have the most lovely and cheerful Christmas. Yeah, happy Christmas. Rosy Christmas. Thanks so much for listening to me and Josie on Grow Coquita Range. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Dave Goulson, who's one of my really favourite people to talk to about how to make your gardens as biodiverse as they possibly can be. And next week, it's going to be the 12 best plants for pollinators. You may feel we've covered it before, but there's going to be a whole lot of new stuff and new research because that's what Dave Goulson is all about. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.